When I was a child, uh, my parents, my siblings and I, we lived with uh, maternal grandparents. And although the Second World War had been fought and won 14 years before I was born, society at around the time of my birth and when I was uh, quite young was still very impoverished. It was quite poverty-stricken, really. There was no such thing as uh, disposable income. My father's wages managed to pay the bills, but only just. In those uh, days of my early childhood, I remember that uh, shopping was a daily chore. I say a daily chore, not a weekly chore, because most homes, or certainly around where we live, most homes didn't have refrigeration, and food couldn't be kept fresh very long. I remember, as if it were yesterday, the milk being kept in uh, buckets of cold water in the lean-to. And some of you are smiling. You can remember that too, I'm sure. And even if my parents and grandparents had enough money to buy a fridge or a freezer, which they didn't, there were no out-of-town supermarkets where you could buy a week's groceries in those days. And there was one added difficulty as well. We didn't have any transport. It's really interesting, isn't it, to think about the way that the world has changed since those days. In those days, shopping was a necessity. In our day, shopping has become much more of a leisure pursuit. Uh, these days, shopping is far more than just purchasing the goods that you need. It's, uh, it's an experience. And I think that probably that's the assumption behind the term retail therapy. For me, shopping is never, ever, ever, ever therapy. Ask Julie. Actually, I think I need therapy after going shopping. <laughs> but when you think of it as well, that the mode of shopping has also changed, that you don't even have to physically leave your house anymore to shop. We've got the access uh, to a world of items on the internet. We press a button, pay for the goods, and they are brought to the front door very soon afterwards. Looking back, 20 years ago, my daughter, Sean, was doing her GCSEs, and uh, she was asked to list in her RE exam what the Ten Commandments were, but she could only remember eight of them. So what she did, rather tongue-in-cheek, was made the other two up. Uh, and according to Sean, commandment number nine was smile and you'll get away with anything. And commandment 10 was shop till you drop. <laughs> now, some argue that uh, Britain, uh, we don't consume to live, but we live to consume. And again, uh, consumerism is largely uh, a feature of developed countries. You know, if you were to go into a, um, a medium-sized supermarket in the UK and went in for breakfast cereal, you would have a, a, an amazing choice large selection, but if you went into a similar size supermarket, say in Zambia or Malawi, and I've been in both of those countries, then you will virtually have no choice at all. And it isn't only about the choices that we have in goods, but also the choices that we have in services. And I was thinking about this over the last couple of days. But give you an example. When I was growing up, there were only two television um, channels that you could have. BBC and ITV, that was it. I didn't even say BBC One because it was BBC. BBC Two hadn't uh, come about until 1964. And they were actually off air most of the day. I don't know, any of you remember this? 
Oh, my word. You're older than you look. <laughs> the test card with some awful music being played. And children's uh, television would come on late in the af on an afternoon. Then there would be the, the news. Then you would have uh, programs throughout an evening. And it would finish just around midnight with the national anthem. As I say, BBC Two didn't come to 64. Channel Four, it was uh, 1982, and Channel Five in 1997. But today, my television package has 70 channels to choose from. Most of them are free view and channels that I would probably never ever use. But I could, if I really wanted to, get up to 260 channels uh, with 18 channels on, on the various genres of music if I desired. I don't. We also have television on demand, the ability to watch what we want, where we want, when we want. Being a consumer has become a natural part of our lives, which isn't bad. I, I think it's good to have choice. I like having choice. And you're not going to hell for buying the wrong pair of jeans. But when that consumer mentality encroaches our Christian faith and our journey with Jesus, then we need to ask ourselves some very serious questions. You're probably wondering where I'm going with all of this and what has this got to do with our series Breakthrough? I'm glad you asked. All of us here today, every one of us here in this place, we are a mix of being spiritual consumers and spiritual contributors. It's necessary for us all to consume, absolutely. We need to consume spiritual food in order that we are fed in order to give out to others. It's so, so important. But it's also so, so important that we are spiritual contributors. To be consumers without being contributors is to damage our spiritual health. In the physical world, if you are taking in, taking in, taking in, and taking in some more, but never giving out, and I'm trying to put this as politely as possible, you've got problems. You need to see a doctor. Now, it's same very much in the spiritual world too. Earlier this week, I was reminded of uh, a Facebook post I posted a while, a while back, and it offers the same challenge. I'll put it on screen for you. It says, a disciple is someone who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. A disciple is someone who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. And I found those words actually very, very challenging. And uh, this week, it's caused me to do some very serious soul searching. On January the 20th, 1961, a clerk of the US Supreme Court held a large family Bible at John F. Kennedy's inauguration. He took the oath of office uh, to become the USA's 35th president. In John F. Kennedy's inaugural address, he was absolutely inspirational. He spoke to children and spoke to adults about the importance of civic action and public service. His now famous words, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, challenged every American citizen to contribute in some way to the public good. 
And then he continued his excellent address and he finished or close to the end of his address with some other words when he said, my fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Great speech, great stuff, stirring stuff, inspiring. But I want to modify that statement for a moment. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. A few years back, a, a, a family, young family, wanted to see me, um, and they made an appointment, and we met one evening, and they were wanting to join the Tamothelian Church. I was really happy to meet with them, and when we um, passed the time of pleasantries, they, they brought out a sheet of paper, a rather long sheet of paper, and there must have been at least a dozen questions on this sheet of paper. And they asked me all sorts of questions. What did Tamworth Elim stand for? What was our theology? What was our vision? What was our community outreach? There were a number of questions essentially about belonging to Tamworth Elim. What could Tamworth Elim Church do for their family? How would Tamworth Elim Church cater for their children? How would they receive encouragement if they became a part of this church? What do we do with the Bible? How do we teach it? They wanted to learn more. And in one sense, it was uh, really good to talk with them. And I really got where they were coming from. I truly understood their position. You know, it's important to be a part of the right church. And if you've got young children, then naturally you want to be in a church with lots of young children. You want to be in a church with uh, a serious children's ministry. It takes the work of children seriously. If you've got teenagers, you want to be a part of a church with a good youth group the last thing you'd want to do is for your kids or your, your teenagers to be the only children in a church of adults but the more that i chatted with this uh, this family i got to a real deep sense that they were only ever interested in being consumers but not contributors because as the uh, discussion continued i said to them I've answered all your questions. I, I hope that my answers are okay. And they nodded. They said, yes, that's absolutely fine. Thank you. But then I said, let me ask you a question. In which way do you intend serving the purposes of God through Tamworth Elim Church? And I didn't mean to trick them. It wasn't a trick question. It was an honest question. But I just wanted them to think about that. And from their response, it appeared that they had never factored into their thinking that they would be anything other than consumers. They never came back. So how does all of this, what I'm saying, link in with our present series on breakthrough? Very simply, the challenge is this. And it is a very serious challenge. Are you a recipient? of the church's mission? Or are you desiring at least to be responsible for the church's mission? Are you essentially a consumer or a contributor? And depending on how you answer that, it may be that God is just giving you a little nudge at the moment and desiring you to break through into a next level of contribution. So what's the difference between a consumer and a contributor? Four things. 
Firstly, a consumer comes to be served, a contributor comes to serve. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 that he did not come expecting to be served, but to serve. And Jesus said these words in reaction to James and John, the sons of thunder, who wanted to basically lord it over other people. Lord, when you get into your kingdom, can we be on your right and on your left? You see, a consumer asks what the church can do to serve my needs, as with that family that visited me on that occasion. But the contributor asks, what more can I do to serve Jesus? I'm sure most of you here this morning know that great story in John chapter 13 about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And then he went on to say these words. He said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So how are we to act as followers of Jesus? The answer, we need to act just like Jesus did. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say that you would be blessed if you talk about my action. If you talk about servanthood, Jesus didn't say, uh, have a Bible study and explore the spiritual theological significance of serving others. He didn't say, memorize all the scriptures you know about serving others. But what he said was, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I'm firm in my belief on this, that the way of blessing is the way of doing, is serving others, of reaching out to others, of going the second mile and the 42nd mile. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's handiwork. We looked at this verse in some context a few weeks ago, and I said back then that that word handiwork in the, the Greek of the New Testament is, is essentially poema, poem, that we are God's poem, because some Bibles it's translated handiwork, some is translated workmanship. Sometimes it's translated, you are God's masterpiece. Wow. Put any of those words in if you like. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus. What have we been created for? To do good works. And the next bit absolutely blows my mind which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. Oh, I, I, I find it hard just to get that to sink in. In other words, God has designed us to be contributors in his kingdom, not just to be Sunday attenders, not just to be pew fillers, not just to be sermon tasters. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes these words. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take responsibility seriously and if you have the gift of showing kindness to, to others do it gladly 
Again, these verses show us that God has created us in a certain way with skills and talents and spiritual gifts and desires of our hearts in order to serve him in this world. That we have been given this to serve his purposes. Secondly, a consumer is entitled. A contributor is grateful. Through our community ministries, we are hugely privileged to help and support people who are very much down on their luck. They've suffered perhaps illness or isolation or unemployment or homelessness or a host of other issues. And it's wonderful to be able to come side alongside those folk. It's a real privilege. And, you know, we have such a, an absolutely brilliant staff and volunteer team who do what they can. They show grace and patience and kindness and compassion. And they display the very characteristics of Christ to those that they come across. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking about many of you here today. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. And I know you do it because of Jesus. And you're very much unsung heroes. You're absolute stars. Thank you. And most of the people that we serve in the community uh, are incredibly grateful for the time given, for the help and the support. But occasionally, very occasionally, we will meet someone who is rather disagreeable. In that they think that the world the church, society, and anyone else owes them. They don't have a chip on their shoulder. They have a bag of spuds on their shoulder. They possess an attitude of entitlement. Now, the attitude of entitlement is something that I've become more and more aware of in society in recent decades, and I'm not sure what the reason for this. And if you want to talk more about it, we've got our own resident sociologist sitting on the front row, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to Jane about it. Jane will give you lots of theories, I'm sure. But personally, I have only ever witnessed this attitude of entitlement amongst Christians on very, very rare occasions. Maybe I need to get out more. But the reason for that is that I believe that the antidote to entitlement is grace. The antidote to entitlement is grace. Grace, as I've shared with you a thousand times before, is God's unmerited, undeserved, and earned favor. Grace tells us that there is nothing that we can ever do to cause God to love us more than he does. And there's nothing that we can ever do to cause God to love us less than he does just now. His love is immeasurable, it's eternal, it's gratuitous, if you like. And people who truly recognize the wonder of God's amazing grace will never, ever think of themselves as entitled. Take that in. That's important. People who truly understand God's grace will never, ever see themselves as entitled. They are grateful, yes. They will be gracious, yes. Out of the overflow of their hearts, their mouths will speak. Out of the overflow of their hearts, they will act and react. They will serve others. They will love their neighbors. They will love their enemies. You see, one of the things that I love so much about our church family 
is that no one ever plays that entitlement card. And if you're new to our church family, you will soon get to find out that one of our most used statements here is the greatest you can ever become in God's kingdom is a servant. And that's something which has almost become something of a mantra to us at Tamworth Elim Church. The greatest you can ever become in God's kingdom is a servant. Because in God's kingdom, those who serve get the highest honor. The last shall be first and the first shall be last in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, God opposes the proud, but exalts the humble. And our testimony is the same as Paul, who wrote to the Corinthians, I am what I am by the grace of God. I said there were four points. The third point, a consumer points a finger when there are problems. A contributor looks to encourage and inspire. You see, those who see themselves as recipients of uh, a church's ministry can sometimes be very quick in pointing the finger when something in church doesn't come up to their expectations. And since we live in a consumer-driven society, which can cause Christians to expect perfection, that sometimes happens. You know, when you watch, uh, for example, Christian television, you can watch some great shows. Um, you can listen to and watch the amazing music from Hillsong. You can listen to some wonderful, humorous, inspiring uh, worldwide church leader. And you can do it all in the comfort of your own armchair with a Horlicks or maybe a G&T, depending on your preference, in hand. And you will always, at one level at least, think that that trumps going to a drafty church building where the, might, the music might not always hit the right notes, where you might be too, ho too hot or too cold, where you have all the weekly hassles of trying to find somewhere to park the car, where the preacher is never as interesting as the man in the box, where you have to make small talk with Sister Sandpaper, you know, that lady that rubs you up the wrong way, or Brother Bucketmouth, you know, the guy who has verbal diarrhea. Where am I going with this? Consumers always expect flawless worship, faultless sermons, and fantastic childcare and youth programs, and are quick to point the finger when their ideals are not met. However, church, church by its very nature, is made up of ordinary, fallible, flawed people like you and me. Church is always going to be imperfect and messy, but I would suggest to you that it is a million times better than the alternative. Might not be perfect, but it's real. It's warts and all, and it's part of God's design for our lives. It's really interesting when you listen to um, contributors when they speak. They speak of the church as family, and families stick together through thick and thin. Families support and try to bring out the best in one another. Contributors have that deep sense of ownership. Listen to the way, as I say, that contributors of a church will speak of their church. It's always our church. 
Whereas people from the community might refer to Tamworth Elim Church as that church. Or down at the Elim. I've never heard anyone else ever say that, but right across the country, the Elim. <laughs> Is that a Tamworth thing? Over there, down at the Elim. I've never heard that anywhere else. You see, those who are consumers often speak of it as this church. But contributors who are invested in the church's ministry and outreach speak of it as our church. A consumer will walk past that beer can or chip paper that has been dropped onto the church car park or the weeds that grow up the church walls or the fence that has been knocked down thinking, the church ought to do something about that. It's such a bad witness. It's shoddy. What does that say about the Elim church? But on the other hand, a contributor will see that the chip paper or beer can or those unsightly weeds or broken fence are their responsibility. And because they belong, there's a sense of ownership. They will pick up that litter and come back with a spade or a hammer or screws or whatever's needed. They will never see anything as someone else's job. They don't feel that they need to get permission from the pastor or the eldership to do anything. But because they are not recipients of the church's mission, they're responsible for it. They will just do ownership. Fourthly, a consumer focuses on their preferences. A contributor focuses on the needs of others. You see, for a consumer, the most important thing of all is to get our own way. As long as church can somehow tick all the right boxes for us, get all of our preferences there, then the consumer is happy. They will continue attending. What the consumer doesn't realize is that there is a diversity of needs within every church family, that there are other people who have diverse needs and preferences. Sadly, over the years, I've come to know people who have left our church because, wait for it, the children were too noisy. If you have a church with young families, guess what? It's going to be noisy. There will always be noise. And to tell you the truth, I love noise. I'm absolutely thrilled that many young families are a part of our church family. I don't know about you, but I would always pr uh, choose the noise of the city before the silence of a cemetery. Some left the church because I preached too long. Cheeky people. <laughs> I was once told by someone, hey, Steve, if, if you've not struck oil after 15 minutes, stop boring. My reply was, if you ever catch me preaching for 15 minutes, you've witnessed a miracle. <laughs> you see, people have all sorts, of, um, all sorts of preferences, don't they, don't we? A consumer thinks that the church is for them and for them alone. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. The next verse 
says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then we are told the story of Jesus who didn't stand upon his rights, who left the majesty, the splendor, and the glory of heaven and came to where we are for our sake. But Jesus' attitude is that attitude of putting others first. So a contributing Christian is more focused on the mission of Jesus than on their personal preferences. A contributing Christian understands the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A contributing Christian does not expect everything to go their way. A contributing Christian is willing to give away all of their personal preferences if it opens up a place for someone else to come to know Jesus. I just thought now, didn't even think of this earlier on when I was preparing my talk. Do you remember Mrs. Byatt all those years ago? My word, she, she, she went to be with Jesus probably 17 years ago. And she was about 93 then. And um, when I first came to this church, I just sensed that we needed to do something. Because we had, at that time, no real sense of outreach into the community. And my idea was very, very radical. And we wanted to change our one and only service, our Sunday morning service, into a seeker service. Looking back, it was awful. <laughs> you know, you learn by your mistakes. But I'm not sure if it was a mistake, really. Um, but Mrs. Byatt, for all who knew Mrs. Byatt, it wasn't the pastor who led the church, it was Mrs. Byatt. She was a lovely, godly lady, but really... She was the boss. <laughs> so I went to see her one day and I told her what this view was, that we wanted to do away with Sunday mornings as we knew it because um, we weren't reaching anybody. And I said to her, please, will you pray about this? I know it's not going to be your cup of tea. And there was that desire. She hated it. <laughs> I can understand why. But she was wanting to put the needs of others before her own personal needs. That's the very thing that I'm speaking about this night. Let me draw to a close. Many of you I know have read uh, Rick Warren's uh, book, The Purpose Driven Life. It's a great book, isn't it? Excellent material. But before he wrote that one, he wrote another book for church leaders, and it was called The Purpose Driven Church. Again, a brilliant, uh, brilliant book. And in that book, he speaks of five groups of people, uh, which he illustrates in this very simple diagram. There are five concentric rings there. The outer ring is community, then crowd, then congregation, then committed, then right at the center, you have the core. And this is speaking about, first of all, the community, as the word suggests, are those people who don't have any real connection with the church, but they're part of the wider community. They might require the church's ministry, perhaps at births, marriages, and deaths. After that, the, 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 the next ring in is the crowd. These are the people who might call the church their church. They might be linked to one of the church's social outreach reach programs. They might attend church actually at Christmas and Easter and maybe one or two other special moments. 
Then you have the middle circle, which is the congregation. These are the people who attend church, some, if not most weeks. They're fairly regular church attenders. They often turn up just before the church starts and leave straight at the end when the church, the final amen comes. They are good people. Um, but apart from Sundays, they don't really link in too much with church life. Then you have the committed. Now, these are the folk, as the, uh, the, folk, as the word suggests, are committed to areas of ministry. They're reliable. They are faithful. They're committed life group members. They're often taking responsibility for ministry and the major contributors. And then right at the middle, you have the core. These people are essentially the pillars of any local church. Without them, the church simply wouldn't function. And whilst recognizing that no one is indispensable, without them, the ministry of any church would be significantly curtailed. And as you can see from that uh, diagram, the closer you get to the center of these concentric rings, the closer you get to the core, the more of a contributor you become. And the further out you go from the more of a consumer you are. And this is the challenge, and I'm going to finish with this. We have not been created to only be consumers. It's important, yes, to be consumers, because otherwise, if you haven't received, you're not going to be able to give. But we have not been created to be only consumers. The church does not exist just for us. Now, that might shock some of you doesn't exist just for us. The church exists firstly for the glory of God and also for the sake of the world. And as you look at that diagram on screen, I want you to ask yourself some questions. Is it time for breakthrough in my life to the next level? Has your faith become static? Have you plateaued off on your Christian journey? Never really exercising faith, never really getting out of the boat, never really praying those prayers of believing prayers that God is going to answer. Would you say this morning that you are more of a consumer than you are a contributor? If there was a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the person who is linked to the church, mainly to receive someone who doesn't really contribute in any real significant way, and 10, you've got the person who is pretty full on, central to the church ministry, a pillar of the church. What number would you give yourself? Would it be a 3, perhaps? A 6? 8? Where are you on this diagram? Community, crowd, congregation, committed, core. What's your next step? Maybe it's to get to know us a little better. Amy earlier on said that in a few weeks' time, we've got a welcome evening. I love our welcome evenings. We run them two or three times uh, a year where people who have recently decided to make Tamothelian Church, they are church. Their spiritual home, they come along. But also, for those who are not sure about Tamworthelian Church, it might be, it might not be, they want to find out some more about this church, then please, that might be a next step for you. 
maybe for some of you, it may be a decision to start coming to church on a Sunday more regularly. You see, life as a Christian out in the world can be very tough. It can be very discouraging on times. And it's good to come alongside others and to be encouraged. And to know that you're not on your own. And to make that a regular discipline in your life. Maybe for some of you, it's to join an alpha group to learn more about the Christian faith. Meet some great people, have some good food in the process. Get to know, you know, we often say in Alpha that there's no question which is too hostile and there's no question which is too simple. It's a great place to explore the Christian faith. For some of you, it may be, I'm going to join a life group. You see, it's such a blessing to do life with fellow Christians. It really is. And if you're not doing that, you're missing out. To pray together, to study together, to laugh together, to cry together. Really is wonderful. To be inspired and to inspire others, to encourage and to encourage others. Maybe for some of you is to get involved in one of our social outreach projects or church ministry. And if you want to just talk about some of that, come and have a, have a coffee with me and we'll just talk and pray about those things. I'll leave that one with you. Let me finish. I, I mentioned this earlier, but I just want to put this verse again up on screen. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There is work for you to do. In fact, according to that verse, it's got your name on it. It's got your name on it. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your great sacrifice. Not only ultimately dying on a cross and rising again, but Lord, the sacrifice of leaving heaven leaving the splendor and the majesty, coming to this earth for our sakes. And I pray, Lord, today that we will have that attitude of Christ, the same attitude, Lord, that we will never stand on our rights. Lord, that's kind of a conversation or vocabulary should never be used within Christian circles. That we should never see ourselves as entitled but rather, Lord, that we are what we are, as Paul said, because of your grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. That, Lord, is our testimony. And I just pray, Lord, this morning for all of us. Lord, we're all, many of us are at different places, perhaps different places on that diagram. I pray that we will truly ask of ourselves heart-searching questions. Where am I? And how do you, Lord, need to break through in my life, in our lives? And I just pray, Lord, that as we reflect on these, as we mold these questions over, that by your Spirit, you might come and speak clearly and powerfully to us. And you might, Lord, also give us the courage and the boldness to get out of the boat and to serve your purposes in this world in ways that we could never have dreamed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.